So this morning we are beginning a new series, Why Gather, Why Bother? And I've been working on this sermon, preparing for it over uh, the last while as um, kind of asking, you know, do we really need to gather together as the church? Is it important? Do we need to do this? How does it fit with our faith? <clears throat> I hear this question. I hear this question all the time. Sometimes I hear it from the mouth of people who say, why do you gather? Or even Christians who would say, why do we have to gather every Sunday? And I also heard it in people's lives, maybe people who never actually speak the words, but by the way they live, you can tell they're asking the question, is it important for us to gather uh, together to worship? Many of you have heard the, the parable of the coals. Uh, the story goes, someone asked, uh, they were sitting around a campfire, and uh, a friend was there, and, and one of the friends asked, you know, talking about church and talking about faithfulness, and said, you know, why do we need to gather? You know, I know if you're going to church tomorrow, we're cutting our camping trip short, and you're going to church tomorrow, why can't we just stay uh, out here one more day? And the person, uh, the guy takes one of the coals, and he moves it out of the fire, you know, on one of the red coals from the bottom, and over time, it goes gray. It stops glowing, stops burning, and it just goes gray. And he says, look at the coal. And the other guy who asked said, yeah, it's, it's gray. I, I get it. And then quickly he takes the coal and he takes a stick and he moves it back into the other coals. And soon, again, the coal is burning bright red. He says, we need to gather together. We rely on each other. We encourage each other. It's a powerful parable about why we need to gather together as the church. I'm going to put my cards on the table. I think it's important that we gather together for worship on Sunday mornings, at least in this church community, because Sunday is when we do gather. So much so that even when Tracy and I, like when we go on holidays, uh, we find a church to join with. Uh, a few months ago we were traveling and, and we found a church to be a part of a church to join, a community of faith. But I have to tell you, honestly, there are times when I've taken it for granted, when I've taken this church family even for granted. And Lord, please forgive me. Forgive me for the times when I've thought, oh, man, there's about a hundred other things I'd rather do right now when I've taken this, this gathering for granted. But it's important. This week has been important for me as I've been studying this passage, as I've been studying God's Word and reflecting on why it's important for us to gather together. I realized first that, um, not so much that I needed to be convinced that it was important, but this has helped me to fill out my shallow understanding of why it's important. I think maybe before I, I knew it was important, but I didn't want to press it too much because I didn't want us to go into legalism where... Um, I think there's been damage that has been done in generations past where everything was based on whether you came to church or not. As long as you were there on Sunday, everybody assumed that your marriage was fine, even if they maybe couldn't tell. They assumed that your faith was fine without ever asking. And not only that, I, I also I want to be careful not to discount the idea or to somehow undermine the idea that all of life is meant to be worshiping God. That when we gather on Sunday morning and sing songs to God, that's worship. And then on Monday morning when we step into the workshop and we begin working with the wood or teaching students, that that too can be worship. We can be praising God in those moments as well. But I'm convinced uh, now more than ever that 
we need to gather. That it's essential for us. But that doesn't keep me from asking and trying to fill out, understanding, okay, I, so we, we need to, but why? What's happening when we gather together? Not only that, but how is it important for not just ourselves, but for the others, for the, for the church family that we gather with? I know some of you are asking these questions too. Maybe some of you ask, you know, is it really important? Or maybe you have friends who ask, like, well, why do we need to go every Sunday? Like, isn't, you know, Christmas and Easter, isn't that good enough? Or maybe you would like to know, have some more uh, depth to why it's important. You already know, like, I, I have this sense, this feeling that's important for us to gather on Sundays, but I don't have much underneath that. So when I say, it's important that we gather, great. And then when someone asks me, well, how is it important? I'm not sure what to say. <laughs> so it's good for us. Over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about why it's important for us to gather together on Sunday mornings. But rather than just give you my thoughts about it, let's look at the Word of God. Let's look at Scripture. Specifically, uh, specifically Hebrews uh, chapter 10. If you want to open your Bibles to that, or it's also in your bulletin as well, in the insert here. I just wanted to say that, so Hebrews uh, is a letter, or actually more like a sermon, written probably to uh, the church in Rome, uh, especially to the Jewish believers there. And it's an amazing letter. Uh, just as I've been studying just this week, it's, it's, it's like you pull one little string, and all of a sudden it just starts pulling in all these Old Testament references, all of these, and the references upon references to different parts of the Old Testament. It's, I'm pretty amazed by it, um, even just this week. But if you would read this with me. So it says here, uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray that we would hear this word this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help. Help us to hear your word. Help us to understand your word. And Lord, help us to realize what you want us to see. We pray for your help, Lord. Amen. So we gather together as a church. We gather together to draw near to God. This is where we begin. We gather together to draw near. Not to let anything to distract us. Not to let anything keep us from gathering with him. Not to settle for any sort of gap between ourselves and God. Let us draw near to God. As I already mentioned, Hebrews is written like a sermon. <clears throat> Verse 19 to 25 uh, there's lots happening here, and it's kind of we need to work through it so we can understand um, what what it's saying here. So it begins with 
therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, since we... And I've always had this, this point. One of my professors always said, uh, when there's a therefore, you need to go find what it's there for. And so to understand this part of the argument, we have to go back just a little bit. And it's just a couple of verses earlier. It's um, at chapter 10, verse 11. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to make this point about uh, priests, about high priests. And then he says this about Jesus. But when this priest, and he's referring to Jesus here, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So he's saying that Jesus is this high priest, this final, this ultimate high priest who has finally taken care of everything. All of the sacrifices that could never quite accomplishment, accomplish it, Jesus has done it. And he goes on to say then, and where these sins have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. This is at verse 18. And so his point is basically, or is essentially that because Jesus is this ultimate high priest, because of the sacrifice that he made of himself, sin has been taken care of forever. This is the high priest that we have. So, because Jesus has done all this, then we get to the therefore. Therefore, because of that, because Jesus is our high priest, we have, um, brothers, since then, he says, therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Now, we might read that and think, holy place what holy place i think well i think what he's referring to here is the holy of holies in the temple the holiest place in all of judaism the place where god was thought to sit or to dwell on earth and we i don't i can't think of any place like that we have that's like that in our culture we have a pretty um uh laid-back culture we kind of think, you know, you can go in and out of pretty much any place. But in ancient Judaism, the temple was a sacred place. It was a place where God made his home, at least on earth. And the Holy of Holies was the holiest place. Actually so holy that the high priest would only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. So even the most holy person of their whole religion would only enter the Holy of Holies once a year. And there's tradition that they would actually tie a rope around his ankle so that he went in there and if he did somehow did something wrong and was struck, to, uh, struck down, struck dead, that they could at least pull his body back out. So there's this extremely holy place. And the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter this place, because Jesus is the high priest, because of what he's done, because of the sacrifice he's made, we have confidence to enter this holy place. And I think maybe not so much specifically the place, the actual temple holy of holies, but more the presence of God. Using this image of temple to say now that we can move close to, the, to God. It says we've uh, had this access, this confidence into the holy place by the blood of Jesus. In the ancient world, blood, especially of sacrifices, consecrated. And it was uh, uh, sacrifices of atonement, and it was the way to set people right with God again. So he's saying, by the blood of Jesus, 
not by the blood of rams or bulls or lambs, but by Jesus' blood, the blood that he shed on the cross. By his blood, by his sacrifice, we're able to move closer. By his blood, uh, sorry, holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. See this, you can see, like Hebrews is just loaded. <laughs> Every phrase has all these references, all these things looking into uh, Judaism, into uh, the religion of Israel at the time. So, we have to enter through this curtain, which is Jesus' body. Which curtain? You see, in the ancient temple, they had a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, an elaborate curtain. And it's interesting because Jesus, when he died on the cross, and it's in Mark's gospel specifically, it says, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. From God's point of view to the bottom, it was torn. And this curtain has been opened, this new and living way through the body of Jesus, through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. We have this access, this amazing, unprecedented, never-before-seen access to the Lord God. And since we have this, we have a great high priest over the house of God. In the ancient world, you had a father who is the head over a house. Called In the Greek, it was called uh, pater familias, or the, the father of the house, or father of the family. And that person, that father, he had say over everything. Everybody who was in that house deferred to the father. Even if that father was maybe a grandfather who had children and grandchildren, even great-grandchildren, the father still was the Lord over the house. The writers of Hebrew is saying that Jesus, who is the Lord over the house, over the church, he's this great high priest. We have to look some about what this holy, what this high priest is like, and this is back in Hebrews at verse, at chapter eight, verse twenty-six. You can see, like, hopefully you're still flying. Do you see how like intricate this is? <laughs> All these references carried forward. This is two chapters of talking about the high priest, how Jesus fills this out. But it talks about Jesus, like the kind of high priest he is, that he is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. And exalted. This is the kind of high priest he is. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God that is like this, let us draw near to God. Let us move close to him. Let us move close with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. A genuine heart. No um, pretense no manipulation, a sincere heart move close to him. In full assurance of faith, without any doubt, without any doubt that um, somehow we're not good enough, somehow we don't quite toe the line, that we haven't done enough, because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice as a high priest, over everything, once and for all, let us move confidently with full assurance of faith. Let us move towards God. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience. This is not something we do in our culture. But it's referring again to the temple and to the sacrifices made. See, in the ancient uh, world, in Judaism, you would consecrate something by the blood of a sacrifice. 
and put just a bit of blood on it. It's interesting, when they uh, sanctified, when they consecrated the temple, when they consecrated Aaron and and the priest, his sons, they took a bit of blood of the sacrifice, the second ram, and they put just a bit on his ear, a bit on his thumb, and a bit on his large toe, signifying that the consecration was from head to toe, his whole body. And we may think, blood, like that's, what is that? It was a way of consecrating, a way of cleansing, so to speak, of making right with God. And so we have our hearts sprinkled, cleansed of a guilty conscience by Jesus, by his blood, by his sacrifice. And having our bodies washed with pure water. I think, again, when, when, the, when Aaron and his sons were consecrated, the first part they did was wash with pure water. They were bathed. But also I think the writer of Hebrews might be talking or pointing us to also our baptism. Kind of a dual meaning here. Or maybe layer, or meaning within meaning. That through our baptism we are also cleansed once and for all. I started thinking about this about everything that Jesus has done. Since God has done all of this, let us draw near. Since Jesus has accomplished all of this, he is the great high priest, let us draw near. And I was thinking some about what it's like when we draw near to God on a Sunday morning. You know, you walk through the door. And probably most times you just walk in the door and it's a normal routine. You hang up your coat or you walk in and you shake some hands. But sometimes the Holy Spirit directs someone to speak to you. And they have this word or this encouragement that they've been waiting to see or waiting to tell you. I've been thinking actually just about Jinan. For those of you who don't know Jinan, Jinan's a member of our church and she's begun uh, chemo treatment, chemotherapy. And when she comes to the door, I see people go up to her and just encourage her, waiting, thinking all week because they've been praying for her to talk with her, to encourage her. So when we gather on Sunday, it begins the moment we walk in the door, at least it can. And then sometimes I see people come in when they come here early enough and they'll sit in the chairs and they'll sit quietly, setting aside everything of the week, all the stuff that's on their mind, all their busyness, and they they sit in the presence of the Lord. An amazing time to draw near to him. Let alone when we begin singing, even this morning, we sing songs and we lift up our hearts to the God, to, to the Lord. And maybe sometimes the songs are like the songs that we love and somehow we just are able to belt them out and we feel close to God. Or sometimes the songs, they feel uh, different or foreign, but at least we can affirm the words that they're saying. We can still sing along with them. Or what about the times when we tithe, when we drop our offering into the basket? And we can praise God. We can draw near to him saying that this money is no longer my idol. This money is not my God. You are Lord. This is not where my hope is. You are Lord. That even Sunday morning is a time of praising him. I want to talk about mission. Like we pray about mission. A time for us to to draw near to God and give him thanks. To petition on behalf of people that we care about. Our neighbors, our people in our family people that we've met and we desire to see them grow in faith. 
What about when we see our children here? How we see the joy that we have watching their faith grow and how that encourages us, draws us closer to God. Or when we pray, like we did this morning, when two or more are gathered, Christ is present. And sometimes we take that for granted. And even though uh, most of you prayed quietly, we were gathered together praying, speaking to Jesus as he was present here with us. What about the sermon? Sometimes God draws us close through the words that are spoken. Sometimes directly in the word or things that we realize as I'm speaking or even sometimes by the things that I say, God uses them and speaks or challenges, to you, and challenges in you in your life. What about the blessing at the end of the service? When I say bless you and you receive that blessing of God and you feel him drawing you close. Or a fellowship after the service. You have a cup of coffee in your hand and you're gathered around a table and you're talking with each other. Saying, how's your week going? And someone honestly answers and said, you know, it's been difficult this week. Or it's been wonderful this week, let me tell you why. Or you know what, it's a long story. Can we meet together later in the week and talk some more about it? All these things are rich times. See, so often we think uh, that my richest time of, of drawing close to God is when I'm by myself. And that's true. I can speak from my own experience. Prayer in the morning, reading God's word quietly, those are rich times. But gathering together with a church family, drawing close to God in community, is rich as well. It can be, in some ways, it can be even more powerful in our lives. I was thinking of this week about how James, he's famous for saying his, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. Sunday morning, gathering together with this church family is us taking one step, drawing near to God. And trusting in that promise that God will draw near to us. Because it's so easy to take this gathering for granted. It's just human nature. If you do this enough Sundays, then pretty soon it can feel like, man, is there anything else I can do this morning? We start thinking of not reasons why we can go, we start thinking of reasons why we may not have to go. Or why we shouldn't go. It's easy to take this church family for granted. Forgive us when we do. Because this can be a rich time. A rich time gathering together and praising God. But I also want to say this too, is that when we draw together, or when we come, we, we gather together one to draw close to God. But also to reestablish a rhythm of rest. And I want to talk about this, about how when we gather on Sunday morning, right in the middle of the weekend, our two days off for most, of, most people, except for those of you who are retired, this is one of your seven, <clears throat> about how making a point to gather on Sunday mornings ripples through the day, how it ripples through the whole week, and how that ripples into our life. And I want to say that gathering on Sunday I want to su suggest thinking of it as a spiritual practice. Something that we commit to doing 
as a practice to grow in faith. And I'm saying spiritual practice on, perf- on purpose because I'm really careful where I don't want us to, to dip back into the idea that of legalism where as long as you can check the Sunday morning box, everything is fine. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But it is a good practice for us to gather on Sundays because of how busy we are in our lives. I see it all the time. Just the frantic pace that our culture lives at and that many of us get sucked into. Going, going, going. Something planned every day. I have to ask, when was the last time you rested? Not rested because you were exhausted and you had to sit down, but rested and savored it. But purposely took time to rest and be present with God, to read his word, to look out the window and reflect on what God's done in our lives? When was the last time you rested and savored it? Sunday, setting Sunday aside, setting this time in this morning to, to, to praise God puts us in a place to set all day, all of Sunday, aside for worship. I look forward to Sundays. You know, I, once I get here, it's a bit of a hectic thing, you know, getting our kids and stuff to get here. But then we go home, <clears throat> and uh, we rest. We sit on the couch, or we go for a walk, or we go down to the beach, a few, like in the summer. But we rest. And I'm really tempted to, sometimes I'm really tempted to just, oh, I've just got that one thing I didn't get accomplished this week, and I've got all afternoon I can go work on it. And sometimes I, I fall for it, but I try not to. Try to spend the afternoon to just rest, to savor it. Because it has ripples, not just in today, but ripples throughout the whole week. When we live going, 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 going all the time, never resting, never saving, savoring it, we become shallow people. It's hard to be deep and thoughtful if you're always rushing. The two just do not fit. And we live in a culture that is increasingly more shallow. People talk in fortune cookie wisdom or tweets. We have a culture that talks in cliches. Someone says, I'm going through a difficult thing, and people try to be helpful, and they spout off some cliche. And it feels shallow, it feels hollow. We need depth. And you don't get depth by rushing around. You get depth by having a rhythm of rest and savoring it. I would love it if as Christians in this increasingly shallow culture we live in, if as Christians we were known for depth and for thoughtfulness and for saying wise words when the rest of the world is talking in tweets and cliches. I would love it if we were deeper, if we grew as deeper, more thoughtful people. Gathering on Sunday is a spiritual practice that feeds into that. It doesn't necessarily guarantee it. I, I realize that. But it would help. Because it sets the tone for all of Sunday. You gather on Sunday morning, you praise God, you set that time aside, 
And then you have Sunday afternoon to just rest and savor it. And that begins to feed into the whole week. And that begins to feed into our whole life. We could stop here. Maybe some of you are wishing I would. (laughs) But I wanted to say that this last week as I've been studying this passage, I was looking at here and I was reading verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, uh, since. And at first I read this as since, and I kind of uh, interpreted or inserted my own language. Since, because of this, we have the opportunity. We have the option. We have the, the chance to draw near to God. But then as I was reading it, it occurred to me that what if this since has also another meaning? So not just since, so we have the opportunity, but therefore, brothers and sisters, since, that means that we should. Since Jesus has done this, since he is the great high priest, we should draw near to him. We shouldn't take it for granted. We should gather on Sunday mornings to draw near. And as we've talked, this is a, a spiritual practice. It's like our first fruits. And it's interesting because, you know, we do this on Sunday mornings, um, and partly it comes from the fact that Jesus rose on the first day of the week, so the church wanted to celebrate that, so they got together on Sunday mornings. But it was also a great point is that Sunday was the first day of the week. Your week began on Sundays. And so gathering on Sunday morning was like giving your first fruits. The first part of your time, the best part of your time for the whole week was given at the beginning. And you know now with our five-day work week, Sunday actually often feels like the end of the week, right? Monday morning is the beginning of the new week. So we've lost that a bit. But we can still gather on Sunday morning as a spiritual practice. Come to praise God. Come to gather with the church that he loves. Jesus loves this church and he died for this church. So what a great spiritual practice for us to come and gather with the rest of the church, this church that he loves. And like I mentioned already, I want to be careful that we don't dip into legalism where we make it, make it sound like you're a bad Christian if you, don't, if you miss a Sunday. That's not what I'm saying. But I do want to challenge the, the other extreme. And the only word I could use to, to get at was cheap grace. It's in a term that uh, a pastor from Germany used to use, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talked about cheap grace, which is essentially saying that when it comes to gathering on Sunday mornings, and sometimes I'm guilty of this, when someone says, oh yeah, something came up and I couldn't make it. I had a friend in town, couldn't make it. Uh, I had a concert I wanted to go to, couldn't make it. My coffee didn't turn out right, couldn't make it. And I'm always saying, oh, no problem, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was way more important. I'm not sure I'm going to say that anymore. I mean, there are times when, um, like I know faithful people who miss Sundays, who go out or do something for the weekend and they're away. I've seen faithful followers of Jesus do that. But I do want to challenge the idea that Sunday morning is, we go to Sunday only if other things don't work out. We gather together with the church only if something better doesn't come along. It's important for us to gather here. 
It's important for us to gather because of what Jesus has done. You know, in the beginning of this, I was talking about why it's important for us. We draw near to God and all the benefits of that. About gathering on Sunday and all the benefits of that for the rest of the week of setting a, a rhythm of rest in our life. But as I'm reading this, therefore, since Jesus has done this, we should honor him. We should have the spiritual practice of gathering together with his church on Sunday mornings. Not that we dip into legalism or that we start, you know, um, browbeating each other if you miss a Sunday, but that we make it a point as a church family to be here. That only in the most extreme ex- uh, circumstances do we miss gathering together. And, you know, maybe you're away, like you're traveling with your family, and, and that's fine. But it'd be, I think it would be a great spiritual discipline. I think Jesus, I think the Lord would be pleased as if you were in that place and you gathered with his church there. It's important for us to gather because of what Jesus has done, because he is the great high priest who has made a new and living way for us, for us to gather together as a spiritual practice, as a way to please him and honor him. So we gather together to draw near, to reestablish a rhythm of rest and to please our Lord. The first two are great benefits for us. The last one is something we do because of someone else, because of God, because of what he's done. This morning we've been talking about this, and this is just the beginning of our conversation of why it's important for us to gather together. The next few weeks we'll be talking about why it's important for the sake of the church. And then the last week we'll be talking about why it's important for the sake of mission. But this morning is these three things. We gather together here to draw near to God for our own benefit. We gather together to establish a rhythm of rest in our lives and the, ripple, the way that ripples throughout our whole life. But also we gather together, and most of all, to please our Lord as a spiritual practice, as a spiritual discipline, to please and to honor our Lord who has done everything, who has made this amazing sacrifice to give us a new and living way. So um, just, I just want to say that uh, usually we have one thing that we do for the week. <clears throat> I actually wanted to encourage us, uh, I, I don't know, just, it's like the church dare. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> I'm saying try this out. Test this out. I dare you to do it. Commit to gathering for the next three weeks here at the church on Sunday mornings, and you will grow in your relationship with Jesus. You will grow in your connection with the church, as in the church family. And you'll grow in your, in your role in God's, uh, in God's mission in our community. I dare you. Come for these three weeks. Watch. Pay attention. Um, and if I'm wrong, you can take the next month off. <laughs> you can do whatever. But if I'm right, and I'm convinced that, that you will see this, your relationship with God will be better your relationship with one another will be better, and your understanding of your role in God's mission in our community 